All right, everyone. Today, I've got a very special guest. Patrick is going to be joining me. He's going to be talking about his own search journey, about the business that he bought, and in particular, about buying within a specialized business field when you don't happen to be a practitioner. Stay tuned. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome, Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing great, happy Friday, how are you? Yeah, happy Friday to you too, I'm looking forward uh, well, it's another week under our belt, the first uh, full work week of 2023. Yeah. And uh, what does that mean? It means, well, people are going to have to like file tax returns and something like that pretty soon. Yes. Well, why don't we start off, Patrick, by introducing you to everyone who's watching? Why don't you give us a little background on yourself? And then, and we'll, then we'll talk about your search journey and then ultimately your business and what you guys do. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate what you do. And um, I was just telling a friend this week who wants to buy a business that he should join uh, your group and do your course. So um, you, you put out a ton of great info. My my quick bio and story, um, grew up in Colorado, did undergrad and MBA out there. I spent seven years at a digital marketing company in a sales leadership role. And then I spent three years doing small business advising and coaching. And almost all of our new clients had terrible bookkeeping and I was trying to coach him and do advising and I was always referring out the bookkeeping and I saw how transformational that was. And so I went and looked for an accounting firm to buy. So, I, so hang, hang on. I want, yeah. I want to, I want to touch back on that because you said that when you, when you started working with a lot of people, their bookkeeping was not in a good state. Can you, can you describe what you were looking for and how it didn't serve the needs of the business when you were yes. trying to help them? You bet. So a lot of these clients were, you know, web design firms, property management, you know, remodelers, um, basically service-based main street businesses with, you know, three to 10 employees and they'd grown, they'd done okay, but we were trying to do like cash flow planning, you know, business planning, look at what their true profit margin is. Um, and you just can't do that when there's bad bookkeeping being done. So, what bad bookkeeping looked like was um, either they were trying to do it themselves and not keeping up with it, or, um, you know, they're just doing their taxes once a year and there wasn't any sort of like regular monthly closing of the books. Um, or so the was, biggest expense line was something called miscellaneous. Yeah. <laughs> Ask my accountant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've seen that kind of thing before, especially when you're trying to, to break down, you know, sort of the, the, the parts of the business and how they make money. And you ask general questions like what's your target markup and, and, and then they they'll tell you, but then you say, and do you achieve it? And then they have no way of knowing. Right. Do yeah. Because they haven't got their, their books set up properly. Yes, totally. You know um, yeah. We sell $8,000 websites. Great. You know, what do you think you make on an $8,000 website? Oh, 50%. Like, okay, let's verify that. And then it's, you know, you're not able to do that. But <clears throat> once you once you do have that data and you can actually verify it and learn to understand the numbers and know the difference between, you know, like gross profit and net profit, it's just it's a game changer, right? 
Yeah, totally, totally. We've got people already piling in. We've got Kevin who's joining us from Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Kevin, how are you today? Uh, Nuvi's in the house and says that uh, we can get started because he's in here and uh, and wishes us a good morning. And Tam as well, wishes us a good morning. Good to see you too. Um, so so you saw the value in how having the better bookkeeping and better accounting was helping these small business owners. And you decided when you wanted to go out and become an owner yourself, you decided you would go looking for a business where you could actually be the provider of this service. Is that right? Right. I'd heard about people that go and buy small businesses. And, you know, initially I was like, okay, I think B2B service is my lane, just given my background and my skill set. And the more I looked at accounting and bookkeeping, the more excited I got about the opportunity. So, hmm. um, took me 10 or 11 months to finally close. And um, I closed at the end of um, 2021. So December 31st, 2021. So a little over a year ago. Okay. So you, so you just finished your first, you, you just finished with your first full year. Yes. First full year. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And so here's the, here's the big question while you were, um, you know, familiar with business and familiar with small business here you are buying a bookkeeping and accounting and tax planning firm, but you're not an accountant by trade. So how was that perceived when you went into the market? When, uh, you know, the brokers you spoke with, the sellers you spoke with, can you tell us a little bit about that? It was, it was a lot tougher than I thought to find a quality deal and um, to be taken seriously. So mm. um, at least in the accounting space, there's a few brokerages that specialize in accounting and they just they just wouldn't put me in front of their sellers they're like oh you're not a cpa like go partner with the cpa and come back and as much as i tried to explain to them you know i have an mba i've taken accounting courses i work in QuickBooks every day right now um here's kind of my plan they they just they were fairly closed-minded so um and the other thing i'll say is like there's just a lot of bad stuff for sale that you should buy the the accounting firms that are for sale so um i really had to look hard i ended up doing my own proprietary outreach and search to find um opportunities and ultimately the one that i closed um but i'd say it was worth it do you do you think that part of the pushback part of the reason why they weren't taking you seriously is simply because they haven't seen many instances of non-cpas owning these kinds of businesses or, or do you think they really thought that if you weren't, you know, one of the 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 doers, that you wouldn't be capable somehow of, of owning or running or understanding what was going on in the business? Yeah, I think those are the two big things. They hadn't seen it before, and they just thought, you know, this this wouldn't work. Like clients would leave, or retention wouldn't be good, or who's going to do the tax work if it's not you? So, okay, and so and. Like that's interesting. So, were you looking at fairly small firms, or or like how how big of a business? When I initially in? started looking, I was looking for hundred percent bookkeeping, and I was trying to get something, you know, between like a seven hundred fifty k to two million dollar purchase price. These typically trade for like one times annual revenue, mm -hmm. right? But there there weren't many pure bookkeeping companies that are sizable. Like most are like. Three four hundred k, right? And um, uh, 
Yeah, so there, there weren't many available. And so I started to get more open-minded to maybe some tax being included as well. And then the, the deals got bigger and, um, and um, I found, you know, some more, I think more sizable or established firms that would be ready to buy. It's interesting. It's, it's the analogy. If I try to put myself in the position that those those other people were in making those statements, it's almost like saying that you need to be a chef to own a restaurant, or you need to be an auto mechanic to own an auto repair business. And right. we know that plenty of those businesses are not owned by those trade trade specialists, right? Yeah. So so in the end, you opened your mind to other different types of firms. What did Apple Tree look like when you finally found it and did your acquisition? Was it a lot of bookkeeping or was it doing all kinds of different sort of uh, accounting and tax planning services already? It felt very different from the start. Um, so <clears throat> I'll give you a, a long answer here. There was a firm doing about 800,000 that was pure bookkeeping that I almost closed on and like okay. died at the 11th hour. Um, so then I kind of like re had to restart the engine, you know, which everyone says not to do, like you got to keep looking. So, um, I <clears throat> was reaching out to more firms and, um, you know, Steve, the previous owner of Apple tree, um, was like, I'm going to talk, let's talk. And, um, you know, right away he told me like, we have a very, um, structured offering. We have a very structured team. Um, everyone is on like a subscription plan for bookkeeping and tax. Um, which I love to hear. And he said, you know, we have tax managers that kind of handle the relationship and I'm not involved with that many clients anymore. Um, and then the other thing that was great is he could send me financials right away and I could see really good, clean financials for three years, which was like, it was kind of scary. So, so, hang on, hang on. You mean the other accounting and bookkeeping firms weren't able to send you financials yes, right away? All the time. You know, they're like, I'm my own worst client you know they're like i serve everybody else before i get to my own books but, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't say i'm surprised actually yeah 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 okay so so we have a few more people piling in here we've got ottawa's representative represented in the house we've got los angeles and uh, utah as well good to see everyone popping in so when you when you uh, first came upon apple tree it sounds like the owner had already done a lot of work towards you know productizing the service and, and making the offering, you know, palatable from an ownership point of view in, in that it, there was this recurring revenue that was coming in. What, tell me about the footprint of the business. It was fairly regional, wasn't it? When you, when you acquired yes. it? Yeah. So, um, uh, I was based in New Hampshire, you know, um, and I'd say 80, 90% of the clients were like New Hampshire, a sprinkling in like Massachusetts and, and Maine. Um, and he'd done a really good job of building the firm and he was in an association for years called PASBA that really trains people on like how to productize it, how to price, how to get yourself out of the day to day. And he had mm. really well. Um, uh, and, um, he, he really, he wanted to know who he was going to sell to before he went into the next tax season. You know, like I, I talked to him in September and he's like, okay, I've got another, I've got other potential offers. Like. I just, I want to know like who's going to buy this thing before I go into another tax season. Yeah. Now, most accountants that I know, you know, will talk about how they have a busy season, obviously around filing deadlines and whatnot. And it, it really gives that seasonal ebb and flow to the business. Um, are you able to smooth that out at all with, with what you've got at Apple tree? Yes, we, we still have it, but it's much smoother than other firms. 
um, because we don't take individual tax returns and because we have their bookkeeping, like we can, we can do the tax work, um, easier, more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you don't have this huge log jam of last minute people running through the door with, you know, all of the stuff trying to hit that deadline. You, you're only doing tax returns for the people that are working with you every month. Yes. Yeah. And so tell me what, um, we, we talked about the perception that people had of you not being a CPA. Yeah. Now that you're in that role and you're running the business, do you think that perhaps there are some advantages to the fact that you're not a CPA? I, I definitely think so. Um, you know, I'm, if you want to be the glass half full guy, I think because I can't get sucked into the day to day, it keeps me working on the business. Um, it, um, it makes me, you know, curious and I have to do a lot of listening and like take it slow because I'm not coming from a different CPA firm saying like, well, this is how we did it over there. Um, and <clears throat> my strong suits in sales and marketing play well, you know, because most accounting firms, it's a grind to get it up to like 750 K in revenue. And then from there to 5 million, it's really like, can you recruit, keep your systems tight? And if so, like it'll, it'll keep growing, you know? Um, but a lot of firm owners kind of stall out because they maybe struggle with recruiting or struggle to delegate. Um, so I think the phase that I bought it in is definitely like plays to my, my strengths. Um, and when I, you know, when I meet some of our clients, they're kind of like, hmm, interesting story. And, um, and new prospects, you know, they ask me like, would I be working with you? You know, so I'm quick to tell them that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the one that will be doing their accounting or doing their taxes. So would you say that, that the management of Apple tree is more sales and marketing focused, growth focused than maybe another accounting firm might be? Uh, now, yes. I mean, um, my goal is to take it from 1.2 million revenue to 5 million within five years. Um, and we're, we're growing pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we had really strong team and really great system. So I want to just keep, keep that and keep building upon that. We've got a couple, uh, a couple of interesting comments here. Uh, Ruben says that he's running into the same issue. It looks like he's looking at buying a, a, a similar kind of firm that you bought. A lot of firms have I have looked at are heavy on tax prep and light on bookkeeping. Uh, in my experience, I find a lot of CPA firms that do accounting work and tax planning work uh, will often have a sort of a constellation of very small bookkeeping firms they kind of refer people to, and, and they don't typically do it in-house, or not many that I've run into have. Um, Sagemark Group um, says, from a license standpoint, what's legally required to run and own the business if the owner is not a CPA or a tax person. Th this is interesting because this can vary by jurisdiction. Yeah. Uh, and I, I ran into this just the other day when I was talking with someone, for example, um, you know, in Quebec, only pharmacists can own a pharmacy, right? And so there's a lot of different kinds of industries around the world, depending on the state, country, et cetera, that you're in that do have limitations about who can be the owner. Yeah. Um, are there any jurisdictions that in the States that require that a CPA own a CPA firm? Yes. I think Texas is like the, the most, um, uh, tight on the regulation that I think it has to be a 51% um, owner. But in most other states, if you really look at um, 
you, you really have to dig in on the details because a lot of firms hang their shingle as a professional services firm or a bookkeeping firm or tax prep. Um, if you're not doing audit, you're, you're, you're fine in most states being a non-CPA owner. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, so it has to do with the, the assurance work and yeah. probably the, the insur insurance that those people would have to carry and, and sort of other regulatory hurdles. Once yeah. you remove that part of it, it's kind of more, more uh, open for people to participate. Yeah. And, you know, previous owner to his credit, he kind of thought that from day one. So he called the firm Apple tree business services. He, he never wanted to call it, you know, XYZ CPA or, you know, Bob's CPA firm. Right. So, um, so it, it depends on the state, but um, if it's just bookkeeping, like you're totally fine. So if, if there's tax prep involved, you just want to, um, you know, dig in on the licensing and see if audit is being done or see what that state says. Okay. And in some states you might need like a minority partner, you know? Okay. And so um, have you ever worried, you know, that concern about if the CPA quits, who's going to do the work? Have you ever been concerned about that, or do you do you have you always had a strong and a deep enough bench that uh, you've got overlap as far as expertise amongst your employees? It's always been a worry, you know, in the search and also you know once I bought Appletree, um, and we were understaffed going straight into tax season, and um, you know they're like, okay, don't change anything, don't do anything until after tax season. That was like the mantra, like we don't do anything new, we don't hire people. Um, and we lost a 10 year tax preparer and we lost a bookkeeper. Um, so um, now I think we're much better at like hiring ahead for capacity, but he was in the habit of like really like, you know, running it at capacity. Um, so it's, it's always a concern, you know, it's such a people intensive business and those relationships matter, even if it is productized well. <laughs> One of the one of the things about a business like this is it's very similar to, you know, a law firm or or even to something like a beauty salon, where if if people go into that business every day and they're always getting service from the same person, that person decides to leave and open their own shop or the lawyer decides to leave and open their own office. Um, some of the people that are used to dealing with that person could then follow that that person out. Have have you seen that happen? Because it's got to happen in the world of accounting. Yes. You know, what you can try to do to protect yourself if you're buying a business is buy something with multiple services, mm -hmm. right? So if they have bookkeeping, tax, payroll, you know, maybe even bill pay in a firm and their tax person leaves, like you've got a better shot at like keeping them. But um, it's, it's definitely a risk, you know, like um, knock on wood, we've had good retention, but um, that that will always be there. Um, so. So you come from a, a sales and marketing background. Can you tell us how things changed at Apple Tree under your first year of ownership? Yeah, so we grew about sixty percent um, top line. The team grew from sixty six zero. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so um, the team grew from twelve to about twenty one. Wow. Um, yeah, what, it's, it's been, it's been so for okay. So for a lot of companies, if you were going to have that kind of growth, there would be the problem of financing the growth mm -hmm. ahead of ahead of the you know cash flows. 
what do you attribute your ability to have that kind of growth? Is it because you had extra cash you could use to, or is it because of the model you have of the subscription? I mean, the model is great. Like yeah. you know, we bill up front. So you get a little bit of help, right? Like here we are in January. Like if somebody was to sign on, you know, there might be catch up bookkeeping fees and then, you know, we're, we're billing them. We'd bill them in January for like February's bookkeeping. Right. So you get, you know, good working capital there, but yes, you still have to go <clears throat> pay for marketing, pay for salaries before people are kind of profitable. Um, so accounting is generally, you know, a good one, but I, I had some unfair advantages as well. Um, I brought consulting work into the business right away that helped increase revenue and covered, you know, debt service or cash flow. Um, so, um, your own consulting work apart from what the accounting business was doing. Yes. Okay. So that was always my vision is like to add on a consulting side. Um, so, you know, we help people with like strategic planning. Um, it's almost like a little bit of like maybe what a fractional CFO might do or a little bit of like EOS implementation or maybe a little bit are of like, you doing, are you doing a lot of that work? There's three of us. Yeah. So okay. I, I do like. I don't know. I have, you know, eight, seven or eight clients. And then there's two other uh, team members that have joined the consulting side. Um, so when so, you looked at Apple Tree, you were looking at the existing client list as this ready-made prospect list for, for these new consulting services. That was one thing that I was overly optimistic on. So I thought it would be an easy cross-sell and it hasn't been. We've only cross-sold two people into consulting. Wow. Okay. We've picked up a lot more new consulting and then the consulting definitely feeds the accounting, you know, um, and vice versa. Um, I think we'll continue to get some, you know, from the previous base, but it's been a little slower go there. And what I always kind of saw, um, as a vision was like three kind of phases of client engagement, like know your numbers, grow your firm, live a legacy. Right. So like, know your numbers is accounting, right? Like get your numbers down. Consulting is like grow it. And then live a legacy is like, we're either going to help you get ready to sell or we'll help you like put a GM in place and get you out of the day to day. And, you know, there might only be like 10 or 20% of the accounting clients that will want to pay up for those next two phases. But I always pictured that as like a really, um, I don't know, ideal service mix for some of these small businesses. Wow. Um, just a reminder, we got a whole bunch of people that are watching live. Uh, hit the like button. It, uh, it really does help the algorithm and it helps with, uh, helps with people being able to discover this content as we move along. Um, and it helps my ego. So like it, it. Patrick's ego needs you to hit the like button. M mine too. That's why I thought of it. Um, so so we Can I circle back? So there were two questions you mentioned and one person said, I see tax prep and light bookkeeping. Yeah. So if you're, so this, is, this is Ruben's question. Ruben, yeah. Ruben, happy to chat with you. But um, what I would look for is anyone that has like at least ten to twenty thousand dollars a month in bookkeeping is worth looking at. So, you know, I don't know what size deal you're looking for, but if there's ten to twenty k there, like you can grow that. Or there's probably, you know, one or maybe two people that do bookkeeping. If it's less than that, then it, it's not really a focus. You know, so. That's, okay. that's what I would say about that. We've got some ego work happening right now on the show. Thank you. So thank, thank you very much, Nuvi. Um, 
And so you mentioned when you started off, uh, the client base was all pretty much in New England. You said Maine, yeah. uh, New Hampshire, and a little bit of Massachusetts, I think. Um, has that changed now over the last year? Yes. Um, now we serve nationwide. There were two things I really like butted heads with the owner. Like we get along well, he's still involved, but recruiting methods was one and where to service clients was the other. And he was like, you don't want to do that. Like, we don't know all these other states. And I talked to a lot of other firm owners before I made the decision to like market and accept clients in other states. And, um, you know, after talking to a lot of people in the industry, and I think a lot of people that are smart, I weighed the pros and cons. I said, okay, we're going to service these other states. And it's been, um, it's been great for, for growth. And, and frankly, I think that's where accounting is going. Like hmm. they the small business owner cares like are you going to be responsive do you know my industry are you easy to work with right whereas like previously it was like who's nearby and yeah they were generalists right and i think now the flooring guy in california like if you know how to speak his language and like what his margin should be and you know what crm he uses and like you can say yes i have five other flooring companies and like we can you know solve your problems then that that's the way the, the world is going. Well, that raises an interesting question then. <clears throat> Did you ever think of niching down into specific target industries? Yes, there was, you know, there was a dental specific one that I sent an LOI on that I really liked. And I just got blown out of the water by a lot of other offers and PE. Um, we've niched down into service companies. So like kind of like professional services in the trades, right? So like you know, web design creators, content marketers, like course creators. Um, and then the other would be like, you know, flooring, plumbing, landscaping, those types of folks. Um, I'm, I've made two other acquisitions and the, the third one was a very specialized firm that just served uh, course creators and online coaches. Were, um, were these tuck-in businesses that were in the same line that you just uh, folded them into Apple Tree? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and so after you made the first acquisition, was the issue that you weren't a CPA ever an issue again? Not really. This is like super minor, you know? Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. Was, you know, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so, so another interesting thing is that, you know, you talk about marketing and sales. Um, you actually are really you're pushing things with Apple tree. You're actually sponsoring, um, the, the boss up virtual conference that's coming up here soon. I've actually, I've got a page here. I'm going to share, uh, on the screen, but, um, everybody register. What, what, tell us about that because I'm, I'm one of the speakers there yes. and, and so are you. And then my Christmas Eve special, I was talking with uh, Mike finger and Ted Leverett as well, who are going to be there. Um, what made you decide to participate in doing something like this? Um, it, it looked like a really good speaker lineup. I like the community, you know, you and I met at another conference mm. over the summer. I sponsored that and I liked it and liked the people there, you know? So, um, I just felt like it was a good opportunity for us to contribute to the community and get in front of, you know, some potential clients who might be buying the business. What, uh, what are you going to be speaking about during that? I'm, uh, speaking about, um, accounting considerations, you know, pre and post-close. Okay. 
And, th- and this is going to be February 16th and 17th. It's entirely online and it's, it's free for people to attend. And in the show notes on YouTube, I put the link uh, for people to be able to click and go and, and sign up and, you know, and, and yeah, please come and join us there. It's going to be great. Um, what, you know, we are now at the end of the fiscal year. Um, what kinds of things in general for all the business people out there that are watching should be some of the things that we're looking out for with respect to our bookkeeping and tax planning, et cetera, as we get into the tax filing season? Um, I, I think the best thing you can do is like try to get your info to your accountant, you know, that they ask for. So if they're, you know, right now in the U S we're working on uh, 1099. So hopefully you've been, you know, issuing W9s to folks and tracking that and tracking your vendors um, that you paid at least $600 to, um, you know, you got to get W2s out the door if you have payroll. Um, and then from there, you know, in terms of tax planning, it's, it's a little late, you know, you mm-hmm. might have some of that at year end, but you can still do some, you know, retirement contributions to reduce your taxable income. Um, if someone's having a really great year and they can see that they're having a really great year and they're, they're starting to worry about taxes mm-hmm. and they're starting to wonder if there's things that they can do, when in the year is that conversation apropos? We, we do it in November. So yeah. we talk to people in November and, you know, we're kind of keeping an eye on the <clears throat> profits throughout the year um, and then trying to give them a tax estimate and then seeing what we can do. Um I don't know if that's the norm. I think a lot of people have a kind of wait and see reactive conversation, at least in the States. Um, but ideally you're, you're doing that in November, December. We've got a follow-up question here from, uh, from Sage Mark. Can you share how you price and sell your work on a subscription level versus a transaction level? And yeah. uh, Sage Mark hit the like button. So. Thank you, Sage Mark. So we, um, our average client is probably uh, like $800 per month. And that would include the bookkeeping for the business, the business tax return and the owner's personal taxes. What we do to price it, we have like a pricing calculator. We're looking at basically the complexity and the volume. So, you know, I'll, I'll look at um, like, you know, how many transactions they're doing every month. I'll look at, you know, how many loans are there or, many credit cards they're using is there a crm you know is it cash or accrual is um is there payroll involved um uh yeah those are kind of the main drivers um and then we have a bookkeeping fee and we kind of have a tax fee that we amortize and then like we turn it into a monthly fee and um for some clients we also do their their payroll in-house as well so and and one of the things i'd like to highlight is that you know, from a business owner's point of view, you might be thinking, hey, moving to a monthly subscription model uh, is really great because I w- all the cash flow bumps are kind of worked out of this. But what is interesting is that there's actually value in this for the customers too, because they're not suddenly facing, you know, a big expense that occurs, you know, abnormally, you know, once a year. Uh, I remember when I used to own apartment buildings, I had a, a contractor who would mow the lawns in the summer and do the snow removal in the winter. And he, he always wanted like to get two checks in the spring and two checks in the fall. And I, and I said to him one year, why don't you just give me a quote for both services and give me a monthly bill because I collect my rents monthly. I'd like to have a monthly bill. It would be easier for me. Um, and then a year later I spoke with him and I said, so how many people are on, do you have on your new monthly plan joking around with them? And he was like, well, just you, you're the only one who asked. And I was like, 
oh my god man like dude, i'm sure every other landlord would love to move to that kind of program yeah. but yeah. but he didn't see how it was actually a value to me yeah. because my cash flow is monthly but every other small business's cash flow is a monthly basis yeah. to be able to have a charge every month is certainly more palatable than a, maybe a, a you know a great big uh, expense once a year right totally uh it's a bummer he didn't take your advice you know but um yeah and it's also you know for us um this is new to me but like the the retaining and recruiting of staff is like my biggest challenge because there's so much burnout in accounting there's so many people that are leaving the industry there's less and less students coming in so i have to like protect my team right so like getting the monthly subscription is almost a check to say like are you invested in like this type of relationship and if you're not like that's okay you know um so it's it's almost like a you know a, a, a vetting process to say like here's the way we do it we we will not do tax only you know if you want to work with us to monthly subscription we'll take great care of you and you know we'll be more proactive than you're you know probably what you're used to um so it's um it's it's kind of a win-win what what kind of revenue would the typical customer that's paying you what 800 a month be doing? If you had to pick an average, it's probably like a $1.5 million revenue business. But okay. we work with people like, you know, 200K up to 20 million. But, you know, the vast majority are probably like one to $4 million revenue companies. And, and you, I mean, you look at the complexity of what people are doing. So like a consulting firm that's creating one-off invoices for each project they're doing that all have to be reconciled with the bank deposits is obviously different than someone who has a retail store with a, you know, uh, using Square or something where everything can just be dumped across uh, pretty automatically. And it just has to be verified, you know, and look for the, the things that don't match, right? I yeah. mean, so this is part of your calculation as far as what you charge people. Yes, um, and it, the way our firm is set up is also different from other accounting firms. So our, all of our team is paid on a percentage of what work they complete. Hmm. Um, so, you know, the tax manager and the bookkeeper. So if I price something wrong, like I'm going to hear about it, you know, they're going to be like, you ought to price this, like, you know, this one's a bunch of work, you know? Um, so I definitely have to, uh, try to really be conscious of scoping that right. Um. But you never know, you know, sometimes like <laughs> we had one, I, I thought I scoped it right and I didn't pay close enough attention to the inventory and there was like, you know, thousands of SKUs and their inventory is a mess and, you know, so. Well, uh, well yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to get out there and have to like get into that work. That's a whole other world. Yeah. Accounting and, and inventory management. Um, I, you didn't say, but did you borrow money when you bought the business? And if you did, did the fact that you weren't a CPA have any impact on the, on what the bankers thought? Yes. The bankers, um, some banks were, you know, cautious. Um, there's a $1.3 million purchase price. Um, I did about 10% down with my cash or, I did 10% down with my cash, 75% SBA, and then 15% seller note. Um, one of the banks, um, I'll give you a long answer. So that other deal that died at the 11th hour was because like the bank kind of like got much more conservative at the very end. They like spooked and like got mm -hmm. weird about the deal. So um, 
when I found the next one, I was like, I'm not going to let that happen again. So I like courted a bunch of banks and I had like five banks and I drove them all to a commitment letter and they were all like bothered that I was shopping them, but like, whatever, like, you know, they all complain about client concentration. Like I can't afford bank concentration and like the same shit to happen, you know, like deal with it, you know? So I was like, I was transparent. I was like, look, I'm talking to a number of banks. Like I need to know if you can close and I need to know like if I can get a lot of credit. Right. So the list went from like five, a commitment letter to down to two. And like the second one towards the end, they're like kind of wanting a minority CPA partner. And then they, they let go of that. Like once they kind of saw the makeup of the firm and the tax managers that were staying on. So some banks did have that concern. Um, some banks didn't. So if you're, if you're looking at a deal, I would just say all banks are not created equal and make sure that like you really, you know, check out your SBA lenders or. So, so the, I mean, in, in the SBA has rules that say you have to have some kind of applicable business experience, but you had a background in small business consulting and working with small businesses and sales and marketing in the small business world. So like, if you look at the skill set of an owner of a firm like this, you could, you're checking like all these boxes. It's basically just this one thing that is absent, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you think the bankers look at the business plan? I don't, but I think they just look at financials, but maybe they do. Um, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a good question. I think they look at the financials and if the financials look okay, they might look at some of the other parts, yeah. right? Cause that's probably the easiest way to, to, dismiss it right if, if it doesn't work in the numbers it doesn't matter what the words say but um yeah okay so so you do you think some of these people actually moved along with the deal without really realizing that you weren't a cpa no they knew but i i just think like 90 percent of what they look at is like the tax returns and they just go okay can it cover the debt service you know okay i don't know maybe maybe i'm like not giving them enough credit but i just think like they don't you know, cause I, I had a few calls with underwriters and like, I could tell that they just didn't look at my business plan at all, you know? So. What we got an interesting question here from, from another boss up speaker who happens to be tuned in on LinkedIn. This is, uh, yeah. this is Eric, uh, who's an M&A attorney down in Florida. Um, how did your mentality shift from the first acquisition to the subsequent ones? Was it, was it easier as you, uh, as you started to do them? Is this broadcast on LinkedIn? I didn't even realize. I thought it was like a yeah. Facebook broadcast. Well, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, it's no, it's LinkedIn and Twitter too. Twitter. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, how has my mentality shifted? Uh, <clears throat> so originally before I bought the first firm, I was like, okay, I'm going to roll up a bunch of accounting firms and like, you know, just be like the sweaty startup that buys a bunch of storage. Like I'm going to be that guy of accounting and, you know, improve them and like keep rolling. And then after the first one, I was just like, whoa, like I, I realized that that's not possible. And um, I was at a conference in May and I, in my head, I was talking to somebody else and I was like, I'm not doing any more deals this year unless it's a perfect fit. And then lo and behold, like a couple more came across my plate. Um, so um, Eric helped me, SMB Law Group helped me with the, the third one and they were awesome. Um, and, you know, I just, I've seen it now, like, you really have to make sure that the firm matches up in terms of like the type of clients that they serve and the pricing model and even the tools, frankly, you know, because if you're an ultra tax shop and somebody else uses like some other tax software, just that alone is going to be mm. a nice way to integrate, you know? Um, 
it's a, it's a whole integration puzzle. Once once you've got it, you don't want to keep it separate. You're not going to realize any kind of benefit unless you can really have everything conform into the the way that you're doing business or or conform your shop into what they're doing if it happens to be better. It's it's about figuring out what works better and and then sorting that stuff all out. Did, did what were the si- comparable sizes of the other transactions? Um, as far as, uh, you know, did you swallow a whale or was it a smaller business? No. So the first one was 1.2 million in revenue. The second one was like only 150 K in revenue, but it was like carbon copy of our firm. You know, it was okay. like in the same association, same tools, same pricing model. It was just, it was easy. Um, and then the third one, um, was about 800 K in revenue. Um, and, uh, some of it was different, you know, like we were primarily QuickBooks online, they were on zero, but um, I really liked the niche. I liked the, you know, the product offering that they had. And um, I think that market is going to continue to grow a lot with course creators and online coaches. When uh, you say they were on zero, you mean they were serving their clients who were using zero or they were yeah. using it internally? Uh, both. Okay. And so, so, you know, th- th- this is interesting because as you have sort of like your major packages of software out there, yeah. um, you know, really, do you by necessity have to be servicing people on all the platforms or are there some accounting firms that just say, no, we're, we're a Sage shop. We only work with people on Sage or something like that. There are some that will only work with one. I think you can build a big business just being QuickBooks online. Um and there's some people that might decide to niche down into zero, you know, because zero is growing. Um, now, you know, we're QuickBooks and zero, but um, it's hard, right? Like if you're a Mac person and then you go to use a PC, that's an analogy, right? It's like yeah. different layout, different design, like different logic to it. Um, so you just have to, you have to be cautious with it because it can really hurt your efficiency. Do, and how do you deal with it? Do you, is everyone trained in all of them or do you have a couple of zero <clears throat> so on those files? Part of why I liked the third acquisition was some of the team was staying on. So like the team that knows zero, you know, is, is staying on. And then I, as we've continued to grow, um, we're training like two of our new staff accounts on zero. Um, so that's the plan. So previously if a prospect came to me and then they were on zero, I wouldn't have tried to like keep them on zero or work with them. We would have tried to convert them to QuickBooks online. But now like I, you know, I, I just leave that person on zero. How sticky do you find people are like, like are our customers really committed to their software or do you find a lot of them are just using what their pri- previous bookkeeper put them on? Are they really? Yeah. Like they're just, the they're board? just using what, you know, the previous bookkeeper had them on or maybe like, they might have just used QuickBooks because it's well known and they, they might be used to invoicing on it. Um, in an accounting acquisition, I think, you know, 20% churn is probably the average like first year. Um, we've done better than that, knock on wood. But um, yeah, so I think the stickiness is really around like the service delivery. It's not the software. Yeah. Awesome. And so looking forward, you know, what, uh, what do you see in the future? More, more tuck-ins. I mean, obviously you're going to keep trying to grow organically or is there anything? Yeah, no. And like, here we are, you know, um, we're, you know, I don't know, definitely nothing more until next summer. Um, 
the nice thing is now like we can be pickier and we're growing well organically that we don't have to do acquisitions, but if there's others that fit, um, it's definitely like a great growth lever, you know? Um, so the, the goal still is like to get to 5 million within five years. Um, and, um, we're on pace for that. So we'll see if it's organic from here on out or maybe one or two more acquisitions. Well, th this has been awesome, Patrick. Uh, if people want to learn more or want to sell their CPA firm to you, uh, how do they reach you? Yeah, um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, feel free to catch me there. I love connecting with people in this community and appreciate you having me. Well, one, one last question. Uh, how important is the personal branding, the, the fact that you appear, you know, in interviews like this and that you're active on platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn, et cetera? How important do you think that is in your success doing these acquisitions? It's, it's been massive. Absolutely massive. You know, even like I had a blog for years and um, even in my search, like people looked at that and they read it and then being active on Twitter, like led to a lot of connections, people, you know, sending meals my way. And then we picked up a lot of clients from um, small business, Twitter and the SMB community. So um, yeah. it's, it's, it's been huge. Yeah. Um, Sam Turner says, congratulations on the first year. I like your growth plan. Thanks, Sam, for contributing, and uh, and I do too. And so, once again, what's that URL for the business? Uh, AppleTreeBusiness.com. So we call it AppleTree for short, but if you're searching, just AppleTree Business Services is going to take you to the right place. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I'm going to say goodbye to everyone <clears throat> with uh, with a few words from uh, from this year's channel sponsor. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice ideas and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.